sportinglife.com, the home of expert analysis and insight for racing, football, golf, and much more. Well, welcome on to the Sporting Life Racing Podcast. David Orr, delighted to be joined again by Graham Cunningham, Ben Linfoot, David Johnson and Billy Nash. A bit of a news roundup, a few talking points this week and a, a brief look at the end to the Bet365 Charlie Hall chase. But David, last weekend we had the final group one of the British turf season. What about Auguste Laudan for Aidan O'Brien and a performance on time for for some substance? It was a good performance, I thought. I know you can pick holes in the way that the race panned out, but um, in terms of what he did, the time form rating of 121p, that's um, certainly one of the highest in recent years, I think sort of the highest for about eight years or so. So, you know, um, in terms of what he did, I don't think you can knock it too much, but um, I think the, the key point is what does it mean for next year as much as anything else? And it's whether August Rudan should be five to one favourite for a guineas or whether he's going to face such a different test there that um, it looks on the sharp side. And I mean, we start looking at the time of the race uh, that he won the other day. We time form called it heavy ground. The official time I think was 144.76, which is the slowest since Kingston Hill in 2013. The fifth slowest since um, it was moved to the straight track permanently in 2001. And then you just look at what he's done here compared to what he'd have to do to win a Guineas. The Guineas is usually running something like 136, 137. So he's going to have to run eight seconds or around 40 lengths quicker to win a Guineas. Five to one for him to do that? Not for me, I'm afraid. Not for you either, Ben Linford. You and Graeme North, point and I've heavyweights in agreement. Yeah, I just felt the same, really. Obviously, a really nice prospect, um, but he he did it in the style of a, a horse that's going to thrive over further next season for me. And um, it was uh, it was really testing ground, wasn't it? It was uh, they went pretty hard, and he and he and he came home nicely um, in the closing stages to beat a bunch of horses that are also probably going to be campaigned over middle distances next season. And I know this race has turned into a uh, a bit more of a Guinness trial over the last few le- years when you think of Saxon Warrior and Magna Grecia and, and Kimiko, even though obviously Kimiko's Verton Futurity was on the Newcastle or whether it's, it was still the, the same race. And they all went on and won the 2000 Guineas. But I just thought August Rodin was more of a throwback, more of a high chaparral type, more of a derby prospect for me than a, than a 2000 Guineas contender. And those five to one quotes, I thought they were really stingy. GC, Verton Futurity thoughts. Yeah. Uh, what I'm going to say, morning everyone, I uh, hope everyone's good. Uh, what I'm going to say to Ben and to David and to my old colleague uh, and pal Simon Rollins, who's out on a limb with this, and Northy, Bradford Elvis, Graham North, <laughs> pump the brakes on this caution over August Rodan. Just pump the brakes uh, for various reasons. Um, the record of um, Aidan's horses who won the Vertem, Racing Pulse Trophy, Observer Gold Cup, call it what you will, um, and went on to running the Guineas is St. Nicholas Abbey, uh, uh, sixth to Macfield, even money. Camelot won the Guineas at 15 to 8 favourite, ordinary Guineas. Saxon Warrior won the Guineas 3 to 1. Magna Grecia won the Guineas 11 to 2. Luxembourg third at 9 to 2. You get the picture. Um, they tend to go well in the Guineas. I thought he won it like a 
a really high class horse. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that he's going to be highly effective, a real, real quality uh, athlete on faster ground. I, I absolutely don't think that ground uh, was run to suit him. He's rated 121p, I think, David, on time form, the highest rated yeah. uh, winner of that race uh, for some while. And it's not like he's six to four or two to one for the Guineas. He's five to one. Um, Simon Rollins, we've known each other for five decades. In a, another readable piece on the ATR website, website, he mentions stride length, various other key metrics, sectional times. Indeed, I've put my money where my mouth is by laying August Rodan at just under five to one for next year's Guineas. Wish me luck. Pump the brake, Simon. There's time to get out <laughs> I'm of with that. him. I'm with him. <laughs> well, well, look, do you like your allies here? Chaldean. <laughs> Noble style keeps missing races. Sakia could be, but who knows? Nostrum, Al Riffa. This horse, August Rodan, is going to go straight to Newmarket. He's not going to have a trial. If Little Big Bear thrives, he may well be the Ballydoll number one, and we'll come on to him in a minute. I've got something for Billy Nash as regards him. Um, Ryan Moore aboard. The chances of him starting at five to one for the Guineas seem fairly slim to my mind. I'm open-minded as to whether he's a bang-on mile or a, or a middle-distance horse, but he's bred to be a terrific horse. He looked a terrific horse last week, and there's no way in the world that I'd want to lay him at five to one for the guineas. Simon, I know, as you tweeted overnight from a you know from a high position, a lofty position, they would have to pay you to listen to a racing podcast these days. Well, we've got a few quid in the biscuit tin uh, if you want to listen to this. And I would not be, all joking apart, and I am pulling Simon's leg, not for the first time. I think it would be a dangerous ploy. Just as a quickie, what do we make of Aiden's latest purple um, praise for a, for a horse of this? Because he's he's gone out on a limb to say that this is one of the most exciting horses they've ever had. Well, we've, we've heard it all before, haven't we? With a group one winning Aiden O'Brien Juvenile. And it's, St. Nicholas you know, Abbey would be the latest, wouldn't he? Not it, St. Nicholas, um, St. Mark's Basilica, the latest. Yeah, it, it's part of the theatre, I guess. We, but we heard it with Air, Air Force Blue as well, didn't we? And he didn't turn out too good at three. And Billy, the difference this time, it took Aiden 24, 48 hours to say it. It wasn't said in the immediate aftermath of the, the press at Doncaster. We, we, difference of opinion here. Um, you've got the, the, the final casting vote. Where are you? With our Burton Futurity winner? Well, I certainly would not be willing to lay him for the guineas anyway, Dave. Um, I think no, I'd be coming good. down on the on the Graham Cunningham side of the fence here. Uh, he's a horse I like a lot. Um, I I'd be very slow to oppose him in the guineas. I, I don't think he like he's not going to turn out to be a miler, there's no doubt about that. He's going to be a middle distance horse next year, but I think he might get away with a mile in May. Um, he'll be trained specifically for the guineas, like GC said. Um, and as as Ben mentioned earlier, the the Vertum Futurity has turned into a bit of a Guinea's trial in recent years. But I'm going to float another theory um, in, you know, possibly getting carried away already. Could we have a potential triple crown winner on oh. our hands here? Do you know? Yes. Um, this is a horse that, uh, look, I think he might get away with a mile in the Guineas in the spring. I think he's nailed on for a derby. I think he's he's absolutely has to be derby favourite at the moment. But he's by Deep Impact, who stayed two miles in, in Tokyo, in Japan. He's out of a Galileo mayor. There's no reason why this horse won't stay. So I think potentially, you know, he could be back at Doncaster for a ledger next year. That's my mm -hmm. fingers crossed uh, prediction for 2023. We could have yeah. a, a triple crown horse in our hands. I think that view has merit. 
Just can we have a quick word on Little Big Bear? He, I think he'll be Timeform's champion two-year-old on ratings. But he will. Billy, I'm, I, I know it's not your department, but have a word with this judge who keeps who keeps giving out ridiculous distances. He has seven lengths for Little Big Bear in that um, Phoenix Stakes. It cannot possibly be more than six. Now, I know we're splitting hairs here. We're passing hairs, but... It's these things matter, you know. Championships and ratings and and orders of merit are based on this. And anyone who thinks that Phoenix Stakes was seven lengths, as I've said before, please don't go into the carpet cutting business. <laughs> You're not the first person to bring up that uh, GC, and we've had it a couple of occasions in Ireland this year. It is a problem um, with dodgy official winning distances. I'm just trying to look one up here. I think it was Ty at at. Um, at the Cora during the summer. Um, Kiprios at Leopardstown. Kiprios, yeah, I remember that one. If you look back at the Irish Oaks and tell me how Ty is beaten half a length in the Irish Oaks, look look back at that. I mean, if that's a half a length, then there's there's something wrong with my eyesight. But yeah, it's something that does need to be addressed. We can't leave the eight of line two-year-olds, Billy, without a line on, on Blackbeard. He was spearheading the Breeders' Cup team on the Sunday and then came the Monday announcement that Kumar retired there. It, this it seems to be the way it's going, isn't it, with these... Two yards that show plenty. If you show your hand at two nowadays, the temptation to get to the breeding shed, shed early is definitely there, even for the biggest of operations. It's something that Ballydale don't do very often, though, Dave, in fairness to them. Um, the last really high profile one that I can remember, and I was looking through them this morning, the last one I can remember is Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, retired after his two-year-old campaign and of course he's gone on to be a fantastic stallion it has happened with with many other horses Tiafilo unfortunately got injured at the end of his two-year-old campaign slash early three-year-old we've had the likes of Maymas and Dark Angel they were both retired as very good two-year-olds I think Blackbeard I think we've we've mentioned it on the podcast before I mean you could see the way just to look at the horse A and B the way he's been campaigned that Bally Doyle very much were trying to get the most out of Blackbeard as a two-year-old there was no guarantee he was going to train on next year. Uh, who knows? I mean, that's that's it's a moot point now anyway. But uh, certainly, I think if he'd gone and won the Breeders' Cup, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if they just pulled the plug there. Uh, look, he's going to retire with a time frame rating of 118. He was a very good two-year-old. He won, I think, uh, six of eight, something like that. He, his four pattern race wins to his name, including at least two uh, Group 1 wins. So, look, um, he's going to be very commercial for breeders. Breeders are going to love him. He's he's going to appeal on both sides of the Atlantic, being by no name ever as well. Uh, I'm sure he'll do well as a stallion. It's a shame to see these horses retired at two, but that's just part and parcel of the game, I'm afraid. And and especially with Coolmore, they're in the stallion making business, and he's going to add to an already pretty crowded roster down there. The record of the ones who do go to stud early, Billy, is really good, isn't it? You mentioned it is very good. Yeah, it is four or um, five no. of, the, of the best, but it, it it seems to work. Thank you. Dark Angel is the one that sort of changed it all, wasn't it? When he went to stud and he did really well. And from him, you had the likes of Sopranos a lot. We've mentioned Memas. Uh, Gita Fan, I think, as well, was another one that uh, went straight there. And uh, do you remember? I mean, there's one that I could barely even spell his name right to look him up. Um, do you remember Kessar uh, won the Mill Reef for uh, Goblin? Oh, yeah. uh, he managed to get to stud just on that, uh, you know, um, and the one I remember was just as I was getting into racing. Do you remember Fasliev, uh, unbeaten? Yeah, and, yeah. and ended up going to stud as well. But um, yeah, there's plenty that have done it. And it does seem to be really, really attractive to, to commercial breeders. So there's no Blackbeard going to the Breeders' Cup, but Ben Linfoot, you're bound there, right? It's Sunday night, Sunday morning from Manchester. I am indeed, Dave. Yeah, looking forward to it. My first ever Breeders'. 
what 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 do you make of the European? You're doing the profiles, going live on Sport Life at the minute. How excited are you by the European team heading out there this time? Yeah, well, we're just waiting for the the pre entries, which come out today, Wednesday, time of recording, and uh, just getting the European profiles ready. And it looks a strong team. It looks a it looks a really strong team, doesn't it? You know, um, I, I went to John Quinn's last week to speak to him about Highfield Princess. So really looking forward to seeing her against Golden Pal in the in the turf sprint. That looks a real good matchup, doesn't it? Um, you've got uh, juveniles like the Platinum Queen went to Fies as well. She's on course for the for the juvenile turf sprint, and you know Kin Ross in the in the mile, um, typical sort of seven furlong horse like last year's winner, Space Blues, uh, going for the for the mile over there. I guess the one race that isn't really getting me jiggy yet is the is the turf, um, and I think that's probably because Nations Pride been doing his winning in America, hasn't he? So, um, you know, he's not really on European racing fans' radar, really. But uh, that's the one race that, I, you know, I'll have to get my head into, I think. Wait till you come across a dirt mile scope if the turf's not well, that jiggy. But... <laughs> Is that still <laughs> the big-ass fans' dirt mile? I, I believe that, that GC's nodding. I believe the big-ass fans are still putting their, their substantial frame behind the dirt mile. GC, have you ever done Keeneland? Have you done the Breeders' Cup there? No, no. And um, I, I won't be doing it this year, sadly, uh, just because I'm... Busy on other stuff and um, and trying to get a handle on the jumping. So, but it's you will en- you will enjoy it, Ben. It's a fantastic event. My, my only little rider at the moment is, and it's a bit vague. This, and I, I could be wrong. Do we send less absolute A-listers to that event than we used to? Now, I know Enable went a couple of times, didn't she? Golden Horn, but I'm struggling to think of the last, you know, the the, the real crack. Um, milers and, and mile and a half horses that we that we've sent to the event. Am I wrong in that? Just, well, that was on my mind when I was looking through the turf. That was on my mind when you used to think, you know, some of the turf horses that have gone over there in the past, and you know, they've come. Oh my God, I've gone in the dark. Don't get all their own this school. You're going to continue. The show must go on. The one Derby's in King George's and that sort of horse. We haven't we haven't really got that, have we? Especially this year, but. Certainly, in terms of numbers, it looks a it looks a huge European team going over. Um, so, in that respect, really looking forward to it. I mean, GC is a Breeders' Cup veteran. Mm. Hope you don't mind me calling you that. No, have no. You got, <laughs> have you got any pieces of advice for uh, for me going out there for the first time? Yeah, I, I would. There's always some really interesting uh, color stories from from the American trainers. If you flick around, you know, you, you, you'll find you'll find something that really tickles your fancy that people don't know about over here. So I, I would think that the, the 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 golden nuggets are generally in the home team, in the characters, the jockeys, the trainers, and the owners, etc. I think it's if if you have the time and inclination and a bit of um, um, uh, perception, you can find some really good bets ahead of time. You really can, it, 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 because you you've got horses from all over the place thrown together, East Coast, West Coast, Europe, etc. It's hard to price those races up, so there will be some good bets in there. But I'm, I'm sure you'll have a lovely time. Great social occasion. I've already already sort of committed to going next year when it's back at Santa Anita. But because I knew I wasn't going this year, I haven't been keeping abreast of the American form. But I'm quite envious. Uh, I think you'll have a great time. And uh, there should be at least a handful of European winners, shouldn't there? We've got Flightline as well, haven't we? We yes. have time form rating of 143. Um, you know, it's not just time form that have taken a real high view of what he did last time. I think uh, the world thoroughbred rankings or whatever they're called nowadays they've got him as uh, the best horse in the world as well so uh, 
you know, we, we're really wanting to see whether there's substance to what he did last time in the Breeders' Cup Classic will be a, a great opportunity for for that. Cannot wait. But Billy, we should touch upon um, Rocky Gibraltar. The sad news from Kumar yesterday mm. that he, he passed away. A horse who, seven group ones on the bounce. He was a remarkable miler and a brilliant miler. He was a brilliant miler and he was around in a brilliant era as well. I mean, his his guineas, his win against Hawkwing in the guineas is one that will go down in, in the annals as one of the great guineas, you know. But he was teak tough. Um, I suppose he was a reflection of the the connections that had him. I suppose his he ran in Sir Alex Ferguson's colours, trained by Bally Doyle, ridden by Johnny Murta, Mick Canan. I mean, he was a he was a brilliant miler. And he's gone on to be a brilliant uh, stallion as well. But yeah, he, he'll be remembered as, as certainly one of Bally Doyle's better milers. Can I toss my Rocco Gibraltar recollections in very quickly? Please do. do so. One, I was, you know, I was elated when he got turned over at Arlington in the in the Breeders' Cup mile because yeah. I the winner. Terrible City fan, that's what. <laughs> <Dawn> <laughs> <driver>. <laughs> so, and I bought, I call it the the Dome Driver watch. I bought a flash watch with my winnings in in Chicago, which is in a drawer somewhere now. I don't wear it anymore. But um, <laughs> then he got me back Rocco Gibraltar because I was I was racing correspondent on on the London Evening Standard uh, at the time, which was a great job. But Rock of Gibraltar got me back because the Standard were not really interested in racing. So I had a you know a fairly easy time of it in those days until the row broke out between Sir Alex Ferguson and the Coolmore mob about the stud rights to Rock of Gibraltar when the Standard suddenly got very, very interested in horse racing. And I was churning out story after bloody story about <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson and Rock of Gibraltar, which culminated when those Herbert Man United fans invaded the pitch at Hereford Racecourse with a banner about supporting Fergie and bang against the Coolmore mob. So he eventually got me back to Rock, but he was a tremendous horse. Of all the venues to choose for your process, it was a great choice, wasn't it, for the, for the old Trafford boys? I'll tell you where they'll be watching. Let's get to everything. No, fantastic, fantastic race horse. Billy, uh, when you were on last week, there was speculation you were in crisis meeting at Horse Race Island after the lamentable performance at Champions Day. I mean, we, we can't confirm or deny those, but the the Celtic Tiger rolled back at Cheltenham last week, dominated Saturday proceedings. We, we saw Pied Piper winning the Matheson Hurdle, and... Um, one one sort of element this year, they're going to go down the Champion Hurdle campaign. They don't think he's going to be good enough. We had Willie Mullins this week, Vauban chewing him on this 40 Life video, but he's going down that route as well. Do you think we've got a crop of four-year-olds this year that can make that bridge into open country? Vauban possibly, um, and he's the only one that I would think could make the could make the step up. Pipe Piper was impressive at the weekend, but it wasn't much of a race. They didn't go much of a gallop. I don't think it really suited anything in the race, including himself. He was very keen early on. He went and won it well, but if you look at the bare form, the proximity of Sawbuck back and forth does does nothing for it really. So um, he'll need to improve a good bit to to make the step up into open graded company this year. It's p- possible that he can. I mean, he's he's quite a big stamp of ours. But on the flip side of that, I mean, he's been kind of on the go for a long time now. They, they ran him at Rylaska during the summer as well. So I just wonder about Pied Piper. I don't know. I think he's certainly one that might fall into the the old four, you know, kind of five-year-old second season hurdler syndrome. Where where are they going to place him? I don't know. I think um, possibly they might be going up and trip with him. I certainly could see him staying two and a half miles. Maybe entry in the in the springtime, you know, the, the entry hurdle might suit him. If there is a four-year-old that can make the step up, to, to the top level it is Vauban I was really impressed with him last year I think if his hurdling improves a little bit uh, he certainly has the class but it looks like it could be a vintage year for two mile hurdlers we've been mm. kind of lamenting the, mm. the 
depth or the lack of depth in that division for the last couple of years, Honeysuckle has kind of had it to herself to a large degree. She certainly won't this year with the likes of Constitution Hill around as well. And who knows what else Willie's going to throw at it. I mean, he certainly has three or four other potential candidates. Uh, what's he going to do with State Man, for example? He hasn't really made up his mind with him. Sir Gerhardt, he, he reckons, is good enough to, to go down the champion hurdle route. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people would object to that. And personally, I think he's he's probably going to go chasing. I, I much prefer to see him going chasing. I wouldn't see him as a as a uh, champion hurdle horse at this stage. But Vauban possibly is. But, you know, um, either way, it's going to be a, a really interesting national hunt season. And I just think the fact that the Irish did do so well at the weekend, Dave, I think it's a case of be afraid. <laughs> be very afraid, UK trainers, because you know this is a this is a precursor of of things to come. I reckon. Well, they Billy, never used the tag. Billy, if we can't beat you at cricket, what chance have we got in the bloody jumps? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I'm glad you did, GC. <laughs> oh, but it's a fair point, Scott. They've never had runners at the showcase before. I mean, yeah. they've had a power gold cup. The big guns have never targeted, but there's a Mullins Heart in at favourite. There's Irish seven to one co favourites. I, I think they've realised. The domination, haven't they? And they're going to make the most of it and be coming over more and more. Yeah. If you've got such strength in depth as well, you've got to run them somewhere. You, can't, you could be running eight against each other in Leopardstown, and the caps, wouldn't you? If you were, if you weren't targeting one or two with the British pots. Which, Jesse, just probably leave that. Why do you think it is so difficult? I mean, I know Capture ruined Paul Jones's stats books for for years, for decades when he won the champion levels of five yard. But why do you think it is so difficult for them in this second season syndrome? Probably because we overvalue juvenile form. I think so. Don't forget Espoir Belen. He was five, I think, when he won the champion. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, good point. Um, yeah so good point. it has been done since Catch It. But it, it, it it's hard to do. I think it, history shows that it's a significant um, gap that you have to bridge. And Billy touched on the other thing, bang on there. The bar this year looks really high with not one, but two crackerjacks, Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill. So I think if you're betting on 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 um, Pied Piper or, or Volban for that matter, I think you're effectively looking for, for one of those two or if not both to have problems, either to lose the form, to get injured or whatever, because it it's it's very close to to impossible to think that that one of those aces won't get to um, Cheltenham next March and run well, well into the 170s, in which case Pied Piper and Volban and the rest of those youngsters have a lot of improving to do. If you haven't, do check out the William Wooden Stable tour on the side. We've got the videos on our YouTube channel and social platform. David, you very kindly, judging by the stable tour, found a, a lucky 15, a Mullins Cheltenham lucky 15, that it started out paying 25 grand to a pound stake, but by the time I got it live, that had dropped, that had dropped to 19,000 because of my slowness in, in the CMS. But a couple of interesting angles you thought in there. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, what you want to be doing, I think, at this stage, isn't it? It's with any anti-post, it's all about doing your best to get runners that actually get there. Um, it sounds straightforward, but it isn't always that case. And particularly when you've got a yard like Mullins that have got so many options that you could sort of split them up. And the one that stood out for, well, there's a couple that stood out as being interesting angles in particular, and it was El Fabiolo for the Arkle, given... Sporting that, Life Arkle, David. Last, last year for the three Sporting years. Life Arkle. I do apologise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make the most of this year. That's contractual. I did say that, but it must have just got cut off. <laughs> terrible connection. But, uh, you know, it, it's quite clear that um, Mullins sees him as his premier two-mile novice chaser at this stage. And when you think uh, what horses that he could have to call on, and even if you just go back to that run over hurdles at Aintree, his form ties in so well with Jean Bon, 
who is, I think, around a seven to two, four to one chance. So I think El Fabiola around seven to one, slightly bigger perhaps in some places is interesting. And the other one that caught my eye is um, Minella Kakuna, who um, obviously looked really good in staying novice hurdles last year. And um, I think most people are sort of of the opinion he'd be likely to go down the staying route, the Broadway, you know, what was the RSA? But Mullins was pointing out that he's always a horse that's done plenty and probably a bit keener than ideal in his races. And he's keener to go down the two and a half mile route with him. Now, obviously, you've got issues like Sir Gerhard, whether he ends up um, going chasing and down that route as well. But um, I thought he's sort of like 14, 20 to one for the Turners. If he does start out over two and a half miles and makes a good start, he's not going to be 20 to one for long. So um, I thought he was well worth putting in as well. Don't you think Gordon Elliott's Manila Kruna could be a big danger to Manila Kakuna? <laughs> Certainly um, very, very dangerous, yes. <laughs> First and second in that grade one at Leopardstown. Yeah. That, it, that's pretty close to a commentator's nightmare, a photo finish between Manila Kakuna and Manila Kruna. There's got to be a betting shot warning watching Manellas when they're, they're locking horns. Be very careful with your handwriting. Um, here goes to Villains' time now. Cheltenham, we were lauding them last week for the decision to go for the four-day festival. It's now outrage. Hashtag outrage. The prices. I mean, Dublin Foot, you like a drink at the race course, even when you're working. Uh, that yeah. became abundantly clear at the Dublin Racing Festival. £7.50 for a pint of Guinness in a, a plastic cup. Are you in the outrage? Paper cup. Paper cup. Sorry, GZ. Paper, not plastic. Yeah. I have to be outraged, Dave. I, I mean, as you know, I live my life through you, and you went to a stereophonics concert and bought a pint Stets. of paint. And... Yeah, Stezzers. And, and how much was that? That was £7.50, and it was oh, a pint so... of awful pizza. Well, it is in line with other elite events, but can you get away with that excuse? No, not for me. I'm, I'm, out, I'm hashtag outraged. Well, GC, it seems to be very few things get racing people going, it seems. It takes an awful lot. That was one, the publication of the price list it. Uh, uh, have we got a problem? Is it, is it just hospitality? Is it just what people expect to pay? Or is it just yeah, a storm in a, a paper cup? The, the word use of the word outrage in this is sensational. Talk about leaving yourself with nowhere left to go when something important really does happen. But it, <laughs> this is the significant part, I think, about this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong. But I think this is what Cheltenham think of y'all and your complaints about stuff like this. I think they were charging seven quid in March, were they? Yeah. Everyone went absolutely postal about it. Seven fifty in October. That's what they think of your complaints. So stand by for the eight pound pint uh, in March. I think. I think that's interesting. I think it's quite telling that they got they got dogs abuse for charging seven in March. Are they cowed by that? Not a bit of it. Bang it up to seven fifty, lads. That's where the market lies. So it's 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 it is a serious point. It's it's really pricey. But if you're talking about real outrage, Dave, I haven't been drinking for a while. And I was at a place in Manchester on Saturday night and I got charged six quid for a non-alcoholic beer. Ooh. Now, if, if there's anything going to drive you back to the source, it's something like that, I feel. Yeah. I don't think they even sell those at Cheltenham, JC. We can't even get outraged at the, at the fence. I did see there was a bottle of Doom Bar at £6.50, which I'm quite sure you can get three for four quid at most supermarkets, which I thought... Both the outrage, but like you say, it's the price that people are paying off the top of the events. And 
once we've gone outraged with this, where do we go with this stuff that's to come later in the year? Billy, we've got Ben's expenses to come from the Dublin Racing Festival. How, how expensive is it in Ireland at the minute? Is it an expensive day out the racing? It's an expensive day out and it has been for a while, Dave. Um, I don't go racing as often as I'd like to these days, but we've been giving out about the price of um, food, drink, etc. at Irish racetracks for years and years, and it's only going in one direction, and that's not good for the punter, I'm afraid. It was only four team. euros fifty <laughs> when I went to Ireland. There you go. You it's must have had a sporting life discount, had you? Well, <laughs> the one, the one bad thing about drinking at night in Dublin, when I used to have you know pretty long nights out in Dublin, I, I, I don't mind you know paying whatever it costs on nights like that. But I didn't like waking up the following morning and emptying my jeans. And there were loads of bloody receipts telling me what I'd paid for drinks, <laughs> which you don't really get over here, do you? But yeah. when I was drinking in Dublin, they give you the receipt and you think, oh, Jesus, 248, seven different drinks, <laughs> 62 euros, something like that. Yeah, Scoop just exempt their expenses, do you see? They, they fly for the sundress. <laughs> they fly for the sundress. Um, Billy, I want to talk about the Tattersall horses in trading sales. A couple of high-profile also, I mean, I'm, I'm a gambler, fake. I have 150,000 heading to America. But let's talk about Waterville and High Definition. High, high Definition, Birmingham Foots Hardwick stakes nap on this very podcast. Going now, we're settling now with Joseph Strong. I don't think it was nap. This is the <laughs> Seven points win, wasn't it? Seven points win. I think it was eight, so it was 15 to eight, wasn't it? But we, we can take out the, the clip. Waterville sold for over 400,000 to go to Australia. Would your hand have been in the air for those two? Definitely not. Um, 350 quid for, or 350 grand <laughs> for high definition. Um, yeah, I just, I don't see it, Dave. Um, yes, he could make a very good hurdler. There's no doubt he has the physique. He, he has the, the pedigree and everything to make a jump horse. But if you look at, just look down through his race record, he hasn't won since he was a two-year-old. Um, in his three-year-old career, he had four starts as a three-year-old. He finished, he ran well in the Dante. He beat... I think four horses home in his next three starts. And although he started this year pretty well, in his last four starts, he beat six rivals. I mean, yes, he's group. He's a couple of group one places to his name. Yes, he was a very good two-year-old, but how good actually is high definition? Um, I'm really not so sure. I, d- I don't know what to make him at this stage. He could make a very good hurdler, but I certainly wouldn't be willing to risk 350 grand to find out. Waterville, on the other hand, Again, 400 grand, it's a lot of money. He's gone to uh, Chris Waller, I believe. Um, he's won two handicaps off 84 and 99. It, does that justify paying that sort of money for him? Look, if he hadn't run at Ascot, I could see where they were going. But I'd like to know what happened at Ascot. Yes, he lost his shoe, but does that explain such a dismal effort? There was no explanation given on the day. There was no explanation asked for either, which I found quite surprising that the stewards didn't at least uh, ask for an explanation into what was obviously a, a shocking effort. Um, yeah, he could bounce back. I mean, he's he's only had one year of racing. He could potentially improve. Obviously, they're t- they're thinking Melbourne Cup with him. And if he goes and wins a Melbourne Cup, then four hundred and ten grand or whatever they paid for him is going to look reasonably. You know, it's going to look good value. So best of luck to them. Um, and we shall see. I mean, I've been talking about high definition as a hurdler for a long time. So uh, let's see if I'm if I'm correct. David, one thing that struck me when you see eight hundred fifty thousand farmer gambler, the money the the bank to take horses to America, to Australia predominantly. There's nothing we can do with the prize money over here that's going to stop horses like that being sold by 850,000. No, no, I mean, it, it's not a new phenomenon, is it, by any stretch of the imagination? But 
it is quite concerning when you look at it. And I was going through all the top lots and I think the only one out of the top dozen or so that isn't going abroad is high definition. And, you know, the top six, they are all going abroad. So, you know, like you say, I mean, that one that tops, like, I'm a gambler. If he was staying over here, he'd have listed races and perhaps minor group races where the first prize is probably sort of 30,000, 40,000 quid, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise um, that connections are more than happy to cash their chips in and take that sort of money. But now I was also looking at uh, these ex O'Brien horses um, that have gone over hurdling. And I mean, there's not actually been that many when you consider, you know, the, the kind of stamina laden pedigrees that so many have had to. Remember Acropolis that finished four in an arc for Aidan O'Brien. I think he, he stayed with O'Brien the following year as a four-year-old and then went to, to Howard Johnson. I think uh, he struggled to, to rate anything higher than over 100 for Howard Johnson. And Mikado, he finished fifth in the St. Ledger with time form rating of 121. And he struggled to get over 130, I think, over hurdles for John Joe and JP and I guess there's one that might have been was Sir Eric, who um, was 119 with time form and was obviously favourite for the Triumph Hurdle when breaking down. But, um, yeah, the, the list isn't that good. I, I even found walking the park, obviously wasn't O'Brien, but was Coolmore. He actually had one run over hurdles for John Hammond after finishing second in a derby. Um, imagine mm. if he'd taken I to... Yeah, imagine if he'd have taken to it and been yeah. gelded. Uh, there'd been no Duvan, no Min, or no John Bond. So uh, how different could could it have been there? Genuinely fascinating. I never knew that. Well, but again, we live in a day and age now where people pay 300,000, 200,000 for point-to-point winners that are running for two grand at Carlisle on a Sunday. It's they're, they're, they're very strange times. JC, a couple of things that are going to come to you first. A tweet that I saw you put out yesterday. Uh, uh, EJ Alton, Eric Alton, and they we've seen on the race card for... For many years, bowing out and potentially with a winner. Yeah, uh, that, that, I'm sure it's going to be his last runner, and it's a fitting end. Uh, we're going to talk about stewarding in a minute. Why wasn't there an inquiry into the improved performance of this horse? <laughs> Seriously, no, it, it dropped in class, seventh Catholic <laughs> win. And you won't find anyone who doesn't have a lot of admiration and affection for Eric and Sue Alston because uh, they've done the job honestly and super capably for through four or five decades now, I think he kicked off in 88, probably had about 600 winners, um, home and abroad, and some crackerjacks. Stack Rock, cracking sprinter, second to Lock Song in the Abbey. Um, Ted Burrow, still winning group races at the age of 10. And of course, Reverence, who was one of the best soft ground sprinters around, one of the best sprinters around uh, nine or 10, maybe 11 years ago when he won I remember that um, none thought really well. It rained really hard the day and night before and uh, his price came tumbling down and he won that and he won the Haydock Sprint Cup, I think, in the same season on testing ground. So uh, also just a gent, just a bloke who never never gave off anything other than a really warm, positive vibe. Sort of a, a flat version of, of Peter Beaumont, I think, in a way, just somebody who carried his his role and his job lightly and, and knew it was a sport wanted to win, did everything he could to win, but just just enjoyed it and, and, and brought people along for the ride. He's a cracking block, is Eric. And I know his wife, Sue, hasn't been well for a good while now. So I hope uh, together they can enjoy a happy retirement. Yeah, yeah, fantastic career. And Juicy, as you touched upon there, we're going to touch upon Stuart's inquiries and the appeals process. We had another high-profile 
reversal. Roger Teal said they were told, nobody told them in advance, and nobody thought they could possibly lose the Portland at the appeal in the week. They did. What, what's happened? Is it, is it a sea change? What, what's behind these? Well, it's possible. Events? It's possible, as you know, that there are certain finishes which can be interpreted either way. We, we know that. Some of them are they're not in the too difficult tray, but they're in the difficult tray, no question about it. But it seems like the this, this race day stewards are getting their homework sent back um, at an alarming clip this year. I've sent an email to the BHA asking for the numbers. Uh, Mark Scully has got back to me and he's looking into it. I haven't got the details, but just running in the last few months, Jim Goldie um, with Chipstead, Chipstead for Roger Teal and, and Call Me Ginger, I was a bit surprised Jim got that on appeal. It was half a length after all. But there you go. He appealed and got it. The Millmans with Safari Dream at Sandown. Uh, uh, Johnston's one at Brighton. I don't know the name of the horse, but they appeal with Charlie Johnson playing uh, Perry Mason. Uh, Google him, kids. Uh, they got that back. Uh, there was one on the last day of the Evo Festival and Duffield in a, a very valuable handicap. She appealed um, and got that on appeal. So it, it looks like either we're having a, quite a lot of cases that are very, very difficult and a new panel is taking a different view or the race day stewards aren't quite aren't quite as on the ball as they used to. And I suspect the latter, the latter viewpoint might have some merit. It's been mute. I heard uh, Dave Yates and Nick Luck on Nick's daily podcast discussing yeah, there may be a centralised stewards panel being brought in that oversees all of the stewards' inquiries. That We might be getting to the stage where that becomes a viable option, GC. Do you think we're heading in that direction? I think we might be heading in that direction. I, I'm not sure that I favour it, to be honest. Um, I'd probably be a little, little less certain than I used to be, but I, I think it's a system that overall has worked very well for a long, long time. Funny enough, I was at Carlisle Races the other day uh, and I bumped into uh, Phil Tuck, who is topical at the moment. I think I think he rolled Borough Hill Lad to win yeah, the Charlie Hall. Um uh, that was a nightmare race for me, but that's another story. Um, and Phil has been uh, stewarding in, I think it's Bahrain, for quite a while. One of the uh, Emirate states, anyway. And he says he does the job sometimes remotely now. So, you know, he, they're, they're quite you know willing to have stewards who are, who are watching on TV and, and studying angles remotely from the race course. So that may well be coming. It's not something I'd strongly favour. Because I absolutely guarantee you that the centralised panel would come up with the occasional verdict that lots of people disagreed with. I just would like the on-the-day stewards to be a bit more on the ball than they have been in the last year or two. Interesting topic, and I'm sure it's one that we'll be we're coming back to. We're running out of time. Um, Bedlin, this time next week you'll be in Keelan, but we're not going to let you go without repeating your thoughts on the Charlie Hall chase. You, I'm not saying you're tipping a hoist, senor, but... Tell us your overview with the race. Not tipping in. Well, I, I, I said you weren't. I made that point very clear. Just give us your overview with the race and your thoughts on it. Well, no, Niall asked me who he thought would go our favourite for the Charlie Hall. And at the time, they were both pretty similar, Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senior. And I just think this Ahoy Senior has got a legion of fans who could send him our favourite in at Weatherby. Um, obviously, he's got great form at Weatherby. He beat the subsequent Grand National winner, Noble Yates there last season. He then went and beat Brave Man's Game, a below par Brave Man's Game in the Grade One at Aintree, and I just thought those couple of strands of form might see him go our favourite. But since since Niall asked me that question, they've gone uh, two ways in the market, and I just wonder if will he actually turn up now? 
Uh, I hope they do, because we often see at the five-day stage, the Charlie Hall looks really good, and it gets to the Thursday or the Friday, and, and, it, and it cuts up badly, doesn't it? I hope the two big guns run, because it'd be a, it'd be a fantastic early-season contest between those two. And there's others you can chuck in there as well, like Eldorado Allen and Sam Brown, who's not out of it on, a, on his entry form. So fingers crossed we get, a, we get a good field, because it is shaping up to be a really good renewal. I'm not sure whether you mentioned this in your show the other day, Ben, but I think there's a key angle in that race between the big two, big two in the betting at least. And to my mind, you know what Nicholas is like. When Harry Cobden comes into the paddock, Nicholas needs to be saying to Cobden, get into his ribs, right? Get into his ribs. He has to, we know what a, a, a horse senor is, just a machine of a galloper, but he can be clumsy. Whereas Bravesman's game is a really nimble, accurate jumper. And I think that the Nicholas team have to make it a real test of jumping from a good way out, get upsides him, get into his ribs and, and make it awkward for a hoy senor if possible. And you do feel it would be, um, he'd be, he'd be fit and trained for it, Braveman's game, wouldn't you? Like in a really early season target that Nichols does so often. And he'd want revenge after Aintree, wouldn't he? He'd want to, he'd want to get one back over him. He wants to win and then go straight to the King George. He's always thought of Brave Man's game as a King George horse. So you're right. I think he needs to have him, you know, pretty bob on for Saturday. But tactically, he cannot let a Hoy Senor just tick along and, and potter over his fences because he's so dangerous if he gets into that smooth rhythm. But Brave Man's game, ridden the right way, can, can interrupt that rhythm. I suppose Dashiell Drasher in there becomes interesting as well, doesn't he? I mean, obviously he's up in trip, but all his best form has come from going from the front. And mm. I mean, I think we could get a pretty deep field here. When you look at um, the jockey bookings, I think the only one that isn't currently jocked up is Sam Brown. So hopefully, you know, we will get sort of eight or nine runners. And uh, it, it just looks a really good starting point for everybody, doesn't it? And Sam Brown, Ben, you, you got the your forecast wrong about what was going to start favourite, seemingly. But Sam Brown was one that you made a bit of a case for. Well, I just when I was looking at the race, I was thinking what price would Shamblu be if he was in here? And you know, obviously he looked like he was gonna hose up in this race last season, um, before that that fall three out, was it three out or two out? And uh, obviously Sam Brown beat Shamblu 15 lengths at entry off a sim off similar weights. And he's uh, he just looks like an underestimated horse to me. I think he's still sixteen to one plus something like that. He's only four pounds off the the big two on official ratings, and he's a lightly raced horse for his age. And I just thought it struck me a horse a little bit under the radar. Anthony Honeyball, he targets that Ascot meeting every year, and he could have run in the handicap, the London Gold Cup, and he's not even entered in that. So I thought if he does rock up in the Charlie Hall, he'd be fairly interesting. He could be a shortener, but he's not jocked up yet, and maybe he's the one who doesn't go. Billy, the advice would clearly, although I think the trainers are clearly taking the advice that while the, the Mullins, Elliot, the Bomad Battalions limber up at home, this looks an opportunity to, to hope they snare a decent prize for them. You would think that, yeah. And and hopefully, like the lad said, hopefully they all turn up. I'd like to know what the ground is going to be like, at, whether it be on, on Saturday. Um, Just because the inside of Goody thing. Yeah, looking at Goody Southwest. Yeah, Saturday yeah. morning rains, the, the only significant forecast. Okay, well, that that would sway me, I suppose, towards Brave Man's game uh, out of the big two because I think he's I think he's a bare three miler. I, I can see where Nichols is coming for King George. I think that's probably you know three miles around Kempton is probably his thing. Um, of the two of them, 
going forward for the year, I'd be more interested in a high senior. If there, if there is a Gold Cup horse in the race, it, it is a high senior. It's not a brave man's game, in my opinion. But, you know, on that sort of ground run, Weatherby brave man's game might just take him at this time of the year. And JC, we, we, we're old enough to have been there. for. I consider the Halstein days with Charlie Old Chase, the Wayward Lads, Silver Buck era. It, it, it's, it's the launch pad of the, the jumper season. We've had some special renewals over the years. Yeah, and I agree. David sort of hinted at this. I think mm. the, the Brits need to to really support these races. Um, it, it, it's not defeatist, but you have to assume that you're probably going to be playing for place money in a lot of festival races. You just have to. Um, that that's the where we are right now, entry uh, and, and um, especially Cheltenham. So from here on in, um, Weatherby and Ascot this weekend, Cheltenham uh, coming up for that um, three day meeting, Haydock, etc. They need supporting those races because there is a there is a significant class edge uh, that the Irish have had for a while now and will continue to have for a few years yet. I think it's no yeah. point being half cooked. For a race like this to then turn up at the King George and run into an Alaho, is it? You know, you want mm. your birds in in hand in in a race like this. Yeah, and a Plutard is going to uh, Haydock uh, for the Betfair Chase, so mm-hmm. um, we can't escape, Billy. We can't escape. The, the battalions are coming. We know, Billy. We, we, we can read the warning signs. Talking the warning signs. Will you be joining us live from Keeman next week, Ben Lundford? You believe it's only a four-hour time difference? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be ideal, Dave. What are we what we're we looking at? Um, like jet lag will have you up, all right? It's yeah, you'll be well. It'll, 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 it'll be with his stopwatch uh, looking at the early morning clockers, when Clockers corner. Yeah, terrible Wi-Fi. Clockers corner. Came back to San Antonio at GC, where we, we walked in the late great Henry Seth was walking out the the cafe at Clockers Corner. You asked how the food was, and he just said, "I believe it must be the chef's day off." It was just. <laughs> That's absolutely wonderful. But they are good breakfast, you will, you will eat well out there. So, yes, we will be talking through the Cup next week, obviously, with, with the, the great meeting on the horizon. Follow all Ben's coverage from out there. He lands Sunday. So I'd imagine first piece is live Sunday night on Squatting Live from the hotel room. We like to hit the, hit the ground running. There'll be no, no slacking from the great man out there. I will say cheers. On strike, you know, if I don't get to, to be part of the jolly for Breeders' Cup week, then there's no way I'm sitting here having to stare out my window <laughs> tips for it. Absolutely no chance. Well, given, the, given the exchange rate, I don't think you'll be able to get much change out of $10 for a for a pint over there, Ben. No, exactly. Because it's Josh Ecky, the press room, won't it, GC? Make sure you tip the ladder, brings it round. That's the time to, to make hay. Sip responsibly, as the slogan goes. <laughs> I would say, though, David, Ben is presenting his, his editorial plan at 3 o'clock today, aren't you, Skip? There's... He's got the tickets booked, but he's not particularly on the plane yet. He's still got to sell the, sell the Breeders' Cup claim. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, badly. But we'll just still be on the plane, I'm quite sure. But there we go. So much look forward to Breeders' Cup week. Thank you to GC, to Ben, to David and Billy. And enjoy what promises to be another fantastic weekend of action. Bet365, Charlie Hall takes the highlights. Download the Sporting Life app for Apple and Android devices for more expert analysis, tips and opinions.